Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 43, Vulnerability and the Truth After Trauma. Y'all, I met with a rock star of a sister of mine for coffee earlier this week. She's not my biological sister. I don't have one. And she is not my sister-in-law either. Rather, this sister is one of my BRCA sisters and a cancer-fighting sister all rolled into one. And she too has been making it onto survivorhood. And vulnerability and the raw honesty that we were able to have with one another created this safe place. It was a place where we were given permission to be human, to let down our guard, to truly be as we were without any expectations of how we should be, to truly be honest with our newest reality after cancer. And this, folks, this is huge. It is not something that's talked about nearly enough. And although I know I feel the nerves rising as I press forward with this particular episode, I don't want any other woman out there who may be feeling a sliver of what I feel or of what my friend feels I don't want anybody feeling that and somehow thinking that they're alone in it or that they're doing something wrong in their healing process. You're not. You're not. So in case you don't have that cancer sister sitting across the table drinking coffee and celebrating that real, honest truth with our humanity, then this is an episode for you to hear. Let my friend and I be your sister sitting across the table from you. Even if you can't see us face to face, take our conversation and know that you're not alone. Let us be those sisters for you. So here's a little bit about how our conversation had gone. We sit on down, grab ourselves some Starbucks, and we're talking about all sorts of things. We talk about our families, our latest projects, exciting opportunities that were going on in each of our lives. And then we caught up on where we were and experiences that we remember from some of those physical trials through our cancer journeys. My friend is a a few steps in treatment behind me and is weighing her odds on the next phase of her plan, what is the best strategy for her, and she's trying to weigh all of her odds. So we talked about that. We talked about how people make decisions differently. She's pressed with this weighty decision and she's trying to figure out how to move forward with that. So I asked her, I said, have you ever done the Enneagram test? Which if y'all have not done, it's really awesome. Look it up and see what kind of personality and processor you are. It's called the Enneagram test. I'm a one with a wing two. I'm basically a perfectionist, surprise, surprise, with a people-pleasing wing. Again, no surprise there. And so when I was learning more about it, and I, I shared this with my friend, that when I'm faced with a weighty decision, how I make those decisions, this is what I do. They're based off of me talking to other people. I collect data. I put it all together 
And I also rely on my gut. And it never dawned on me that other people don't listen to their gut, that they don't know what that's saying until I started studying the Enneagram a little bit more. My husband, for example, he's a five. Another one of my friends is also a five. And after reading a little bit more about that, they're more data-driven. In order to make a decision, they collect all of the data that they possibly can to try to push forward with a decision with that. If I collect it and analyze it, then this is the way that I need to go. I don't do that. I gather as much data as I can. I look at what I have, and then I listen to what other people say that know more than I do, and then I trust my gut. And it never dawned on me that other people make their weighty decisions in a different manner. And so I asked this to my friend. So when she's sitting there and she's trying to decide how to move forward, we talk a little bit about that. Well, how is it that you make decisions? How is it that you can move forward and be completely comfortable and confident and not beat yourself up with whatever you decide a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? You make the best decision that you can at that juncture in time with the information that you have available at that time, and you do the best that you can. So my friend and I talked a little bit about that and tried to figure out what her strategy would be with even making a decision on moving forward. So we talked a little bit about that, and then conversation turned to talk about that emotional element. I asked my friend how she was emotionally, and I was kind of peeking, like kind of creeping open the door a little bit to see, well, what is she going to say? Because myself, I was kind of guarding some of my own emotions that I didn't want to always face. They keep coming up and I just don't like it. I broached the subject and I asked her and I'm so glad that I did because it, again, created this very safe, honest, authentic space. And our conversation widened to incorporate some of life truths after trauma, along with goals for what we thought true healing actually looked like. And some of that I want to share with you guys today. It's that raw, vulnerable truth after trauma. My friend even shared that within our sea of pink sisters, that sometimes you can sense that it's got to be all optimism and the hell yeah, let's conquer the world warrior mentality. And, And not that we're not. We have all of that. But folded in and intertwined still is this more tender spot. And my friend said that sometimes when those tender spots aren't shared and we aren't privied to know that they exist or that they're normal, and all you see is that that outside surface layer of optimism all the time, that when you're not feeling that, that it can somehow make us feel like we're on the outskirts, like we don't belong. Like suddenly we don't belong in the sea of pink and we don't belong with our regular lives prior to cancer because we are changed now. And the truth is, and and you can even see this mirrored within our conversation, is that we all have this tender spot especially following a trauma. So our conversation had started, remember, when we were talking about our family and exciting life events. That's that surface level. And then it goes on, okay, the next layer deep is that hell yeah, look what we did. And this very matter of fact of, well, when you make decisions, let's talk about it this way or what was your treatment plan and kind of more of this This is the way it is, matter of fact layer, which is still needed, but it's not that underlying 
emotional heart layer. So it's like you've got your surface layer, you've got your hell yeah, warrior conquer layer, and then you have that tender sweet spot, which hits very close to this vulnerability, this emotional heart. And a lot of times women, even us that have been through breast cancer, hold that very close to us and we don't open it up and we don't let others see it. And because that's a thing, when you go to the sea of pink and all you're seeing is that surface letter, hell yeah, I got this. Then, like my friend said, sometimes you feel like you don't belong. And I want all of you out there listening to know that there is this tender piece, even if it's not being talked about right up there out in the open. And that's why I'm wanting to do this episode today so that you guys are privy to hearing a glimpse of that. My friend even went on to say, in regards to being isolated, with family and friends and our peers who are incredibly loving and supportive, sometimes even then it can be isolating because unless you've had a near brush with death experience, that level of fear is not completely comprehensible. Sometimes it feels like people don't understand when you say, oh, just move on, or those cliches, life is short, we could all die tomorrow. Oh, dude, I've said that, and I get that, and I still know that, but life is short, we could still die tomorrow. Ooh, it pokes really hard at that little internal sweet spot, that bruise, that tenderness on that emotional heart layer. It means something different now. Those statements have a whole new level of meaning for those of us who have really wrestled with that more than an arm's length away fear of dying. It's no longer this abstract thought. It's no longer a cliche. We feel that that fear is so close. It's tangible. It could belong to us if we don't play our cards just right. And that increases our fear. So when my friend goes on to talk about how she feels like sometimes we might not belong or feel like we don't belong because, well, maybe my smile is a little floppy today and I'm not quite feeling it. Guess what? The truth is, is underneath that heck yeah layer, there is that vulnerable truth. Everybody gets a floppy smile from time to time. I sure as heck do. It was in this moment that I began to share more with my friend and I explained it with this metaphor. I feel like sometimes it's like you're driving along in the car in some lane. Normal driving, stay in your lane, no problem. But have you ever had the alignment off of your car and you're kind of always fighting to keep it in the lane? Sometimes that's what it can feel like after cancer. You know you're supposed to be this way. You're going to trek on with your life. You're going to drive and travel through. And to anybody else on the road watching you drive, you look like you got your shit together. You're staying in that lane, no problem. But inside, internally, on that deeper layer that not everybody is privy to, you're feeling this constant fight, this constant, let me get my life back. I'm trying to not freak out. I'm trying to not let it bother me because I know I need to be grateful or I know I want to be like this. And yet these emotions are there. There is that sweet spot and you're constantly fighting against that alignment. And my friend, when I told her that, she said that she knew exactly what that feeling was. And we talked about how in our minds it had always been this benchmark. I'm going to get to survivorhood. I'm going to cross that threshold and I'm going to be great. And I'm going to be all smiles and celebratory. Heck yeah. 
And guess what? We cross that threshold and yeah, we're happy. We're great. We own that and we are excited and we are grateful. But what the heck is this other piece? Why is my alignment off? Why can't I keep my car on the road without having to fight it at all? like I did prior to cancer. It's because we've been through something really hard and we are changed. And and it's not about trying to reach this threshold and once I run, run, run real fast and get to this part where I'm survivor, all is well. Or run, run, run real fast and meet some imaginary threshold of when I get there, then I am emotionally cured. It's not like that. It's not that linear. Instead, what it's more realistically like, it comes in waves. It's I'm good one day and I'm really not the next. I belong in that sea of peak and I have my optimism. Well, there's my floppy smile the next day. And all of that is okay. All of that is part of it. It's normal. It's not about not feeling pain in the present. That's a lie. It's more like a wind. Some days the wind is really blowing hard and you'll want your darn coat. Sometimes it's a gentle breeze that brushes across your cheek. And sometimes it's stagnant. You don't, you don't feel anything. But the wind doesn't go away. It'll come back. And when it comes back, it won't stay forever either. It comes and it goes. And there's power in trusting that no emotion is going to last forever. Trusting in that when those waves come, they're gonna eventually go. Then I broke out a little bit more of my own story. One that has me deeply embarrassed at times but I wanna share it with you only so that you can see where I came from and can hopefully reflect inward on yourself and have hope of where you can go from wherever your new low may be. But before I go on and share my experience with some post-traumatic stress stuff, I want to reiterate that my experience will not be identical to yours. I share them so that hopefully you can see that whatever your own trigger may be, that one, you are not weak. Two, you're not going crazy. And three, you're human. You survived a trauma and you can heal from it. When I shared this raw honesty with my friend, she told me that hearing it was helpful for her and her healing. And I can tell you 100%, absolutely, no doubt about it, that when I opened up and I shared my struggles, she was able to share hers. And it was helpful for me to hear that too. And we were able to lean on one another and recognize that it was okay, that we were not defined by any of it. I have some PTSD that has come about and is triggered greatly from my initial surgery and the memories that I have from that room, which I'll share for you in a second. But a secret... For anybody that may be getting ready to go into surgery, this is what I have since learned. When you go into surgery, don't look around. Instead, you focus your attention on one nurse and one nurse only. You find out their eye color, their hair color, what are they wearing, what is their entire life story so that you can write a book about that one person when you're done with everything. Because what that's going to do is that's going to give your brain a job to do when you're rolled in there and you're pretty lucid and you're trying to focus on something, you're scared, instead of looking around, give your brain that job because then the rest of the room will drown out in the distance and you won't remember it. Incredibly helpful advice that somebody passed on to me. I used it for my second surgery. Don't remember a thing. I have passed on the advice to countless other women who have told me, thank God for hearing that tip. 
But my trigger begins in a moment where I didn't, I didn't know to give my brain that job. I remember they gave me this I don't give a shit cocktail, which makes you pretty loopy. And then rolling into surgery and suddenly my loopiness becomes a lucid loopiness. And I remember having to climb onto the table and I look to the right and I see this buffet of sharp flesh splicing silver instruments. I had to put my body on this table, the table that they were going to carve pieces of my flesh off of me. And I saw those tools over there on the right. And then I felt them and heard them getting the seatbelt to tie me to the table. So then in my mind, I'm, oh my gosh, this is a horror film. I'm going to be tied down to this table where they're going to take knives to me. Terror rolled through my body. And when I think back on this moment, I can still re-feel that same terror flooding my veins. And I looked over to my left and there was the anesthesiologist sitting next to me and my eyes pleaded with him, please rescue me from this. I am so scared. And the next thing I know, a mask was getting put over my face and I was scared of that too because then I knew what was going to happen when I wasn't conscious and the mask comes over my face and the next thing I know I'm out and I wake up and then my next image flashes to seeing my scars for the first time. And although I love them now, and although I wouldn't change my course of action for anything because it saved my life, when I look back on these images, they come so quickly, and I can I, I have flashes of seeing my body maimed. When I unfold these bandages for the first time, these stitches are raw. I see my skin, my flesh sewn together with stitches. There's surgical glue. There's old drying blood. I have four drains on each side and each drain is about the diameter of a straw. I can see them sliding into my body and they're held together by a single stitch and hanging on the outside are these grenade-like sacks that are collecting blood and other fluid from within. When I see these images, I I don't recognize my body. It looks like I have been through a war zone, like I have been maimed. And then suddenly it'll flash forward into after I've had my second surgery and I'm looking at my torso and everything. And I had had a hysterectomy and a switch out surgery done at the same time. So the next image that flashes through my mind is seeing those scars again, but this time with three more. So my whole torso is covered with five fresh scars. I don't recognize myself. And then it flashes forward to chemo and I feel them numbing my port and then stabbing it in order to get my infusion. And all of these memories and a few others, they'll come and they'll flood and they go really, really fast. And I see them again and I feel them again. And the terror and fear that flooded my system then floods it again. And I panic and I get short of breath And there's a part of me that doesn't want to even say that out loud because I should be healed, right? Like, I'd rather be a great role model. Look, this is what I've been through in the past. And now I'm on the other side. And then here I am re-experiencing and re-feeling this stuff. And that's where the embarrassment and that's where the shame rises is because 
in my mind at times I feel like, oh, I shouldn't. Well, yeah, okay, but I did go through something hard, right? And I am human. And truthfully, it's not only about where I was and now I'm done with it. It's where I sometimes still am. And the rising strong isn't saved for a select few. And it's not about reaching that invisible benchmark. Instead, it's about choices. People would say, oh, Joyce, you're so strong. Well, y'all, I fell flat on my face. And I'm still falling flat on my face from time to time. But I'm more than that stumble. I'm more than these intense, overwhelming, post-traumatic memories. I'm more than that heartache. I am everything else that I have done, rolled up into that batter as well. And when I share this with my friend, then she in turn was able to share some of her layers of vulnerability and fear. For her, it was the what ifs. What if they didn't get it all? What if it comes back? What if my kids get this mutation? And that string of what ifs of all these things that we can't control, it induces panic. And our logical piece of our brain knows that, hey, we can't control these things. But that very emotional piece of our brain, it's not speaking to logic at that moment. It's scared and it's upset. And what I want you guys to take away from hearing those memories of mine and how it still has an effect on me and how my friend is still wrestling with her own fears and her own what ifs, they were not stuck in that. Yes, I can have a bad day. I can have that floppy smile as can she. And yes, we can have that survivor. Yes, I've got this mentality too. But you're not doing it wrong if you feel one one day and one the next. I do also want to add that depression can rise from this. So if you're feeling some constant weight on your chest and you don't know how to get out of the bed or move on, yes, okay, I'm saying feel your feelings and know that they're not going to define you. But if you're feeling this to a level where it is preventing you from being able to get up and go and enjoy life from time to time, then that may be depression and maybe you should consider talking to a professional about it because there is help out there. And likewise with PTSD, there's help out there for that. And I don't want anybody thinking that you have to walk this journey in some particular fashion, that it has to conform to a particular box. I want you to recognize that you can have these good moments and you can have those bad moments and neither one of them are going to define you. And you need to be your own advocate and love yourself and wrap those arms around you and just hold yourself and say, I've been through something difficult. It is a wind. It's going to come. It's going to go. Trust in that. And then also trust in the fact that you're not crazy. This happens. And trust in the fact that you don't have to do it alone. There is support out there. There are other women that are going through it. And there are professionals that are out there to help you through dealing with the day-to-day, dealing with depression if you do have that, or dealing with PTSD if you do have that. So when I said before that you can heal from trauma, my friend had this brilliant quote, and I loved it so much. I want to, I want to tell you exactly what she said. When we're having our conversation, our little epiphany here, she says, healing doesn't mean gone. 
that's genius. Healing doesn't mean we meet that magical benchmark somewhere where we no longer feel this moment from our lives. It's part of our lives. It doesn't have to define our lives. It's not going to necessarily disappear, but that doesn't mean that we don't heal. Healing doesn't mean gone. Healing doesn't mean that we forget about what we went through or that we no longer own our pasts. It's incorporating that into part of our identity, not defining us by them, but rolling it in with all of those other pieces of who we are as well. Here's another thing that we talked about in our coffee conversation. I told my friend, you know, when I look in the mirror and I see my scars now, I love them. They remind me that I got to live. They are indeed marks placed on my body that show that I lived and I love them. I am strong and I am capable of doing hard things. Doesn't mean that I don't have that bad moment from time to time too. And I like what my friend says. She goes on to expound on this idea of our scars and she says, you know what? We all need to learn to accept those internal scars for what they are too. We are strong and we are courageous because we allow ourselves to be human. That is the opposite of weakness. We also talked about how we want to remind women not to compartmentalize or to shove this stuff in a box and to never feel it again. Because this experience that we've gone through, however horrifying and heart-wrenching that they may have been, whatever kind of scar they may have left on that internal emotional sweet spot, they've also opened the door to a newer level of compassion and vulnerability and empathy that we have for those who may be experiencing a similar trial. And my friend goes on to say, you know what, let's think about this in terms of our girls. We each have two little girls, and all four of them, because my friend and I, we both have that BRCA mutation, all four of these little girls have a risk for inheriting this mutation. And of course, we pray that they never, ever, ever have to walk this road. But knowing that it could be this or it could be some other adversity, when adversity strikes, if we think about this in terms of our girls, when rocky roads lay down in front of our children, my friend goes on to say that she doesn't want to be so removed from this emotion that she can no longer get where they're coming from or to empathize with them and to have compassion and to help them through it. We don't want to live in that hurricane of emotions. But if we can learn to give ourselves permission to recognize that no emotion is going to last forever, and it's not that some hurry up and heal, make this benchmark, now I'm over it, ta-da, conquest. It's not about wallowing in the turmoil. It's more about feeling the wind. Again, some gusts may be more intense and others more gentle, but feeling that creates this table of compassion where you can truly show up for another. As my friend was able to show up for me, I was there for her. Hopefully this episode is there for you guys. And having been through what we've been through and not denying our emotions from them, we can show up for our children when they hit adversity of some kind or another. So if, or I'm going to be even as bold as to say when, you feel some level of emotional turmoil after this kind of trauma, don't keep it in. Find your sister, your confidant, your therapist. Find your voice and don't let it pressure cook inside of you because it's not weakness. It's human and it is incredibly brave. 
feeling whatever you may be feeling, and asking for help does not mean that you're failing at this conquest. It means you're living. It means you're human. It means you're open and honest enough with yourself what's going on, and it's okay. It's common. And just because you may see that smiley pink badass warrior riding high on a victory cloud somewhere, that doesn't mean that they haven't felt similarly to the way you may feel now. And on the flip side, it doesn't mean that you're not going to lasso that cloud and be sailing on your own victory march tomorrow, or that the day after you might not fall down again. It is all of the above. I want to end with something that Lisa Turkers wrote on her new Facebook page, and a friend shared it with me, and I want to share what Lisa wrote with you guys as well. Lisa writes, Part of what makes healing so hard is the deep ache left behind after the trauma, the divorce, the suicide, the accident, the discovery, the diagnosis, the fallout, the failure, the abuse, the rejection, the disappointment. Loss envelopes us with an aching grief that comes in unpredictable waves. It's hard to know if you're getting better when a string of good days suddenly gives way to an unexpected emotional crash. You feel angrier than ever over the unfairness of it all. The wounds seem raw, confusing, and unhealed. But I've discovered those days don't have to be setbacks. They can be evidence you're moving through the hardest parts of healing. The new tears over old wounds are proof you're tending to your emotions. You're processing the grief. You're wrestling well with the ache in your soul. Emotions are evidence you aren't dead inside. There's life under the surface. And while feelings shouldn't be dictators of how we live, they are great indicators of what still needs to be worked through. In order to heal from the pain, we must deal with the pain. That aching is proof there's a beautiful remaking in process. Don't give up. I look forward to speaking with you all again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.